across the Kidron Valley into and to await Pilate's judgment in Pilate's hall. Before they took him to Pilate, they scourged him. Now that word in our English language is easily pronounced. But you must know more about the definition if you're ever going to know the condition of that word. They scourged him. They beat him with a cat of nine tails with bone and glass in the ends of the leather straps. And when they hit him with it, they'd go across his shoulders and dig in. And when they ripped it, it would rip down the shoulder blades and all the way across the back of his torso and rip from his breast all the way back to his hip line, it would make furrows in his back. Josephus said his back, who was a historian writing in the days of Jesus, said his back was laid, op- laid open to the view of his innards. In other words, you could see his insides. But he was still alive. They put a crown of thorns on his head, not like a thorn we would know, but a a, a three to six inch thorn that you can drive into something. They drove it into his head. And they spit in his face. And they mocked him which hurt just as bad. And the Bible says they spit on him until it ran. Now, I want to ask you something. How many times you got to spit on somebody till it starts running down your beard? They stood there and continuously spit on him. That's the God of that cross. They hung him out with thieves. You can have a seat. Hung him out with thieves. They put him between two common robbers. Which denoted in his life who he died for. And in his death, he was still with the common man. He was crucified between two thieves. And then verse 36 pops up. It just pops right out of the screen. And sitting down, they watched him there. I never saw this. They've beat him. they maligned him. They've mocked him. They've cursed him. They've crucified him. And they go over in a corner and sitting down, they watched him there. All around Calvary, the Holy Ghost told me there was suffering. You can't look at Calvary and not see a suffering Savior who died for sinners and sin. So all around Calvary, there's suffering. 
all around Calvary. Number two, there's sounds. Here is mama weeping. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are mothers and you have grown children? Grown children, wave at me. All right. I have two grown boys and a grown girl. He was 33 in that general area of age, 33 years old, when they did this to him. And his mama watched it. I want you to mind's eye with me just a minute. What if we was just to decide your boy was a heretic? Your boy was a religious fanatic, a nut, an occult leader. And we tacked him on a tree with the description I gave you of this Jesus. Stuck him in the platform and hung him up. And you had to sit out there and watch it. It's one thing to find out your boy was killed in a car wreck. It's one thing to find out your boy died of a stroke. It's one thing to find that your boy had a, had a problem physically. And you're going to the family. It's something else. To look at parts of his body. Visual from without, but they belong within. And here's his brothers and his sisters, his brothers and his, his kin people. And maybe that woman caught in adultery who lost the only friend she had left on planet Earth. Maybe it was that old boy at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. Somebody beat him to the water. But when this Nazarene came by one day, <laughs> he said, let's bypass the process. Rise up and walk. You say, you believe he did, preacher? You don't want to get into what I believe. Yes, I believe that. Because I got up and walked out of my stupidity. Walked out of my foolishness. Walked out of my sin. Oh, yeah, I know it's possible because it is probable. Because it's experienced. And there he is. And sitting down, they were so wore out from beating this man to death. And he's not dead yet. They crucify him, which was a practice of the lowest caliber. When you was crucified, you was a public menace and became a public mirror of death. And they sat down. And they watched him there. There were sounds. The Sanhedrin was screaming. We got to watch it when we take him down for the simple reason they try to steal his body. There's all kind of sounds around that. And you can hear women over here crying. Mary Magdalene's going crazy. Seven devils. And she's clean. And she's happy. And they just killed the only person in the world who would even acknowledge her. He's gone. He's just about dead. There are 
sufferings around the cross. There are sounds around the cross, and then there's sighting. There are some sights around the cross. I'm not going to be able to preach this like I want to. I'll just give it to you. When these jaybirds stop flying at God, when these, when these men, if you want to call them that, these, these butchers, they got through, and this morning, by the way, in hell, they exist. You know what they've been doing for 2,000 years? That's all they do while the fire laps up around their ungodly feet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are people in heaven this morning that was there. And there are people in hell who was responsible for the death of God on earth. He wasn't just God's son. He was God, period, in the flesh, incarnate. And there was sights. Let me ask you something. And sitting down, they watched him there. What did they see? There's where I, I, I sat on the back porch with God. What did they see? They're watching. They're looking at their work. They're like an artist marveling at their mischief. They're looking at what they've done to this man. They think just like John. They didn't cut John the Baptist's head off because of his beard, his hair, or the color of his eyes. They hated his mouth. They, sh they tried to shut him up. And every time a dog barked, every time a dream came, every time night fell, they had to sleep with their misery. I promise you this. Old John the Baptist caused a lot of sleepless nights after he was gone. And they're sitting now watching this one that they, are, they have killed and murdered and butchered. I want to show you three things they saw quickly. I'm just going to mention them and move on. Number one. Is this on, Steve? Let's, let, we'll go to this. Number one, I want you to see and write it down, if you will, please. They saw death take a plunge. They saw death take a plunge. If you go to Genesis chapter 5, verse 5, you'll see, you'll see the Bible says, And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And I want everybody to repeat the next three words with me. And... He died. If you skip to verse 8, all the days of Seth were 912 years. I want you to repeat the next three words with me all together. And he died. Verse 11 said, all the days of Enos uh, were 905 years. Repeat it with me. And he died. And all the days uh, of Canaan were 910 years. And what happened to him? And he died died. 17 says the same thing. 20 says the same thing. 27 says Methuselah was 969 years old and he died. Verse 31 says Lamech or Lamech were, there was 770 
and, day, and seven years and he died. Everybody from Adam until now has had a death sentence on them in dying. But one thing that happened on the cross was that Jesus caused death to take a plunge. All of a sudden, Jesus is dealing with death. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, whereby one man sin entered the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Everybody here this morning is laboring under a death sentence if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. It is high time that we recognize a death sentence has been passed down from Adam to every man that does not come to the foot of the cross and acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Savior and the Lord of His experience. The, the Bible also tells us in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. I want to read this to you. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Somebody asked me the other day in our, our preaching on heaven, what the word sleep there meant. Does that mean we go to sleep after we die and wait on the resurrection? Does that mean soul sleep? Uh, does that mean that the, the, the songwriter said, when I wake up, one of the greatest gospel songs in southern gospel history was when I wake up to sleep no more. Written by a man and written for a group that held to soul sleep, I found out. But I'm, I want to tell you something. When he talks about sleep there, he's not talking about soul. He's talking about body. The body is sleeping in the ground waiting on that great resurrection morning. The body is there, but mister, let me tell you something. Every soul is as much alive today as it was when God put it in you or allowed it to go to heaven. The Bible says, I show you a great mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption or corruptible must put on incorruption. That means this corruptible, dying, rottening body is going to put on the ability never to rot, never to die. It will be incorruptible. This mortal which can fade away and rot on the bones must put on immortality, which means it cannot be ever be destroyed. So when this corruptible uh, shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, that's at the resurrection of the dead when Jesus comes back in the clouds of glory for His children, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Hey, I want to talk to you, Death, and ask you a question. Hey, Death, where is your sting? Oh, grave! Where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are glad today death has taken a plunge at Calvary? I have talked to a lot of Christians about dying. I have been around a lot of deathbeds. I have been associated with moments just before death on several occasions. And I'd like to say that the power of death on the life of the Christian is zero. I love it when a child, I told you what one man said, one preacher, his two boys were sitting by, the death, by his bed, I just read this a couple of weeks ago, 
Two boys were sitting by his bed and he was just about to enter glory. A child of God. An old daddy that loved the Lord. One of the boys spoke up and said, Daddy, what do you feel? He opened his eyes and showed all of his teeth, all of them he had left. And he said, I feel like a child on Christmas Eve fixing to get the greatest present anybody could have. Now, I want to tell you something. When you can say that on your deathbed, when you can stand death in the face and say, I don't care, when you can look the grim reaper right smack dab in the eyeball and say, I love God, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I love the Lord Jesus, and I'm going to see Him. Good God, what a joy. Somebody holler amen right there. I'm not worried about dying. It's living until then. That is the difficulty. Oh, death, where's your sting? You know what happened when Jesus died on Calvary? Death took a, took a plunge because God pulled the stinger out. All he's doing now is mimicking death. If you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus, you're going to die Without Christ, a grim death. If you're here without the Lord and know not the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins have not been forgiven. By the blood of Calvary, Mr. Listen to me, there is no other way to put it. Hell will be your home. But there is something else to say about it. And that is come to Christ this morning. Trust Him. Don't sit around with question marks. One fellow said a question mark, an explanation point, isn't anything but a question mark that somebody jerked the wrinkle out of. And we don't need our question marks running our lives. We need a God who reaches up and jerks our question marks until they're explanation points. And we know in whom we have believed. And we are absolutely persuaded that He's able to keep that which we have committed unto Him. Against that day. Voltaire was a French philosopher and a philosopher. Voltaire was also a notorious atheist. Voltaire wrote some of the prelude and some of the forethought to Darwin's mess. And these people fed off of one another. They had a society of stupidity. They just pushed the Bible aside, brushed truth aside, and said, we are our own God. Voltaire mimicked people. He mimicked God's Word. He threw a Bible upside of a wall in a society meeting one day and said, if there be a God, let him kill me for throwing that book. And God was merciful enough to let him live. But he was not merciful enough to let him live forever. He, he was on his deathbed. A nurse wrote this. She said, I stood by the bedside of an atheist. And she said, God is my witness. May he never let me view another atheist's death. He said, she said, Voltaire began to scream. He said, they're coming in the door. He started crawling up in the bed and he was incapacitated, but every ounce of energy he had, 
He was crawling up in the bed, pulling his feet and legs up, saying, They're coming for me. They're dragging me out of here to hell. For God's sake, woman, stop them. And he, he come all the way up in the bed, almost in the fetal position, trying to cover the extremities of his body because he said, Demons are dragging me. And he died in that tirade. He died in that moment. And that woman said he died with handfuls of his hair in his hands. And they carted him out with handfuls of his own hair. She said the last thing he screamed, My God! My God! My God! The demons. The demons. You want to die like that? Be it your choice. But don't go to the bedside of death and expect Jesus Christ to be there if you're not willing this morning to acknowledge Him. Death took a plunge. I also saw a little old black lady here one time. Sammy Wilson and I was called to her bedside. Sarah and Diane and I and Sammy went over to the Aiken Hospital. She was laying there in a semi-comatose state. And all of a sudden, she raised up on her elbows. She said, Reverend, do you see them? Do you see them, Reverend? Lord God, look, Reverend. They're coming for me. Bam. She, I still see the grin. I still see the joy. I remember the atmosphere was like a party. I remember the grace was real. And a little black woman stepped out of that black body and into the arms of an entourage who came together. I believe with all of my heart, people who are there now, are a welcoming committee. And you know what they all say? <laughs> Where is death now? Where is old death now? As we linger in the presence of God and shout glory. Let me say something about entering into rest. That's a whole lot of junk. I went over to the graveyard the other day and I had to go over there for that marker and and I, I saw a bunch of them. And you might have had it on. That's fine. Ain't no deal. It says, entered into, the, into rest April 14, 1990. Entered into rest. I promise you this. According to Revelation, what I read, they're doing everything but resting. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hall now, if that's rest, they in it. Entered into rest. That's a soul sleep slogan. Entered into rest. Thousands of thousands times ten thousands of thousands rejoicing around the throne, singing Hosanna to the King. I don't see no rest in that. That ain't no holiday in. Entered into rest. They entered into joy, shouting. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. When you look, what do you see? They saw death take a plunge. Number two. They saw not only death take a plunge, but the devil take a pounding. 
Let's saw the devil take a pounding. The Bible teaches us, and the Bible tell, tells us, that old Satan slid into the garden of Eden and beguiled Eve. Eve pulled Adam into temptation, and you can read the story in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. I'll not go into it, but I will tell you this. At this point, Satan has a part with man. He has a place to stand. Now he has a camaraderie with the human race. He's been tempting us ever since. He's been doing everything he can to drag us away from God. How many of you are sick of him? Let me see your hand. I'm glad to be able to say to you this morning, praise God, at Calvary, not at this or that or the other, not at over yonder, down here or up there, but at Calvary. It was at Calvary where Satan became suspect. It was at Calvary where the power of God was overshadowing the power of the God of this world. Old Slewfoot slid in the garden, thought that he would overtake the human race, outdo God, sabotage the plan of God, but little did he know the Son of God was coming to the crest of Calvary there on a hillside. Hallelujah to God called Golgotha. He paid the debt for sin and made it where Satan would take a beating. Let me say something to you. If Satan had been as smart as he thought he was, he would have never let that happen. Because on the cross is where Satan lost all hope and all ability to be who he thought he was. I, I, I give God praise and glory and thanksgiving. Satan thought that he was going to win out. Satan thought that he was going to be the one or the, or, 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 or the potentate of it all. And at Calvary, Jesus Christ Gave him a beating. I like, I like what this verse says. Give me a... That's it right there. Look at verse 15. Let, let me read 14. The Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle, the beasts of the field. Upon your belly you'll go, and on the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between her seed and, uh, and, and thy seed. And, and notice here, I like this. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In the garden, Satan skimped the heel of Jesus. He, he caused an irritation, a blister, a small place. He said, you think that you've worn out because you have harmed or hurt the body. But at Calvary, God stomped his brains out. Now watch this. With the same foot that he bruised. With the same foot that he nicked. Oh, is there a problem? A nick. A little fester. A, 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 a little irritation. You've caused society an inconvenience. But wait till Calvary. When Jesus Christ stomps the devil's brains out. On that tree, 
Satan took a pounding. You know why I'm sober this morning? Not because Satan helped me, but because he took a pounding and Jesus Christ bought me. Do you know why I can preach this morning coming from where I came from? You know why? God can anoint somebody who's a nobody and make him a somebody for his glory. You know why? Because the devil took a pounding on the cross. It's not because of my, my family tree. Not because of my blue blood experience. It's sure not because of my talent. It's not because of my ability. It's because on the cross, blessed be God, the one who had a nicked heel, stomped, I mean stomped the brains out of Satan. And if Satan had been near near the intellect he thought he was, he would have never let this happen. He thought this was a plan to end the influence and it became the plan of influence. Let me ask you a question. (laughs) Are you glad that Satan is not running your life any longer? Somebody give him praise right there. The Bible says, and having sat down, they watched him. What did they see? They saw death take a plunge. They saw the devil take a pounding. And they saw deliverance take place. They saw a deliverance. Take place. Luke 4.18 says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captive. I'd like to say this morning there is delivering power in this place and it is not because of a major or a minor prophet. Deliverance is not because of a few poetic books in the Bible. Deliverance did not take place simply because of the, of the five books of the Pentateuch or books of the law. Deliverance did not take place because of a historical section in your Bible. Deliverance did not take place because of man's ability to cope or to coordinate. Deliverance took place at Calvary when Jesus Christ carved out a place in society and in history and said it's not by power nor by might, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord, and the blood fell where sin lived and was in dominion. Blood covered it, and the blood of Calvary fixed it so you and I could live for His glory and honor. I tell you, deliverance came. That's what they saw. One who became a deliverer. Oh, let me, if I can... uh, Give you, give, give me Romans. There you go. Thank you, Tim. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? <laughs> verse, what's the next verse? Help me, CT. What's the next verse? Look at it. It says, I think it says, but thank, this is Romans seven twenty four. Look at Romans seven twenty five, and tell me, where that one is, it says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But I thank God through Jesus Christ the Lord. I want to I I illustrate this if I can. If I can. I need to 
Come here, son. Can you, would you help me? Come here. Let me. Let me. Yeah. Let me. Uh, just use your minute. I'll, I'll. I'll be good to you. I won't hurt you. Come on. <clears throat> I've told you this before, but I want to show it to you, and somebody here will get something out of this. Paul said, "Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Not the death of this body." Notice what it says. Oh, wretched man that I am. That word wretched means misery personified. Full of misery. Who's going to take me from this misery? Or who's going to deliver this body of misery from me? Now, these people would know what that meant because it was a Persian law. If a man took another man's life, they, 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 they would not put him in jail and give him TV and, and SpaghettiOs. No. We don't have it that good. My TV's broke. I need to go to jail and watch a ball game today. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. They didn't have a place to incarcerate him. They would publicly humiliate him and watch him publicly die. The body that they killed became the body of death. They would strap that body on the back. I want you to get right up on my back and put your arm around my neck. There you go. There you are. Now, I want you to hang, hang, hang dead, boy. I don't know who you belong to, but I'm going to kill you. Okay? He hangs dead. They would wire this body to this man dead who will deliver me from the body of this death who's going to get him off of me now hold on just a moment rest yourself a mediator would mediate visual contact someone was assigned to, this, to, to the man that was wearing this dead body. And anybody who tried to take the body off the man had the body put on them. Wasn't many friends in those days. The body of death wired to the man who killed him. You say, well, what was the punishment? The worms would eat this man into the rotting flesh on the back of this man and would eat into the living man and kill him alive. It was called the body of death. They didn't have many murderers. There wasn't many people dying except for natural causes. All right, jump back up. The body of this death. He is now... Wandering around in life with death on him. Paul said, That's a, and, and you'd say, Preacher, you couldn't go far and do much. But what are you doing? If you're lost, you've got the body of death eating you alive. He tries to live his life. He tries to go best he can. 
But all the time, the corruption is eating him up. Rest yourself a minute. The corruption, the corruption is eating him up. Then Paul asks this question. Who can take this body off of me? Only the judge who prescribed it. Only the originator of the sentence. The one who put it on him was the one who could sign to release it. Paul said, oh, wretched man walking around with a worm-filled carcass. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who? Notice he didn't say what. Because that judge had to be the one, not a what. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? (laughs) I thank God. Look at the next verse. Somebody ought to be at the altar now saying, get this thing off me. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then there's a period. Listen at the hope. What would it be like to get this little worm booger off of you? <laughs> Trust me, this is a fat little boy. <laughs> and I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, he said, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh... I ain't got no hope in my flesh. He said, but in the mind of God. I like what he said. Oh, wretched man, thank you, son, that I am. He can get this body of death off of me. Let me ask you something. Do you need delivered? Is there a Christian here this morning that's carrying extra weight that's incorruptible, nasty? The one who saved you can take it off of you. Please, do you know where you're going? Do you know Jesus paid the price? I heard this story. A train back in the early days when train was heavily transferred the the way of transportation. The conductors going down the aisleways getting tickets and picking up tickets from people. He comes to a seat where Albert Einstein is seated. True story. Albert Einstein is sitting there going through his papers and the conductor said, Can I get you a ticket? He said, Are you Mr. Einstein? He said, Yes, I am. He said, can I get your ticket, please, sir? We're glad to have you. One of the most famous scientists in the world. We are glad to have you on our train. And he held out his hand for his ticket. And Mr. Einstein was looking and picking and finding and searching. And he said, sir, I've somehow misplaced. He said, don't worry about it. He said, you're good for it. I'm not worried about it. We're just glad to have you on, on board. He said, no, let me look. He kept looking and looked. He looked down on the floor, looked under the seat, looked in all of his stuff, got his books, his papers, and he kept looking and he couldn't find his ticket. He said, Mr. Einstein, don't worry about it. You're welcome to ride. We'll take care of it later. The man goes down to the next car. He comes back through there and Einstein is down on his knees looking for his ticket. 
all around underneath the seats. The man gets down there with him, the conductor. He said, sir, it's all right. You don't need a ticket. He said, you don't understand. You don't understand. It's not a matter of me trusting you. It's a matter of direction. He said, what do you mean? He said, if I can't find that ticket, I forgot where I'm going. So brilliant. He didn't have any direction. But what about you? Do you know where you're going? Why don't you get on your hands and knees with me? And let's find the ticket. And let's let God do something for us. Our Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you this morning for your goodness. Touch people, I pray, in this invitation. Bring honor and glory to yourself. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake this morning, we thank you for helping us preach one more time. What did they see on the cross? They saw death take a plunge. They saw the devil take a pounding. He is toothless this morning. He is as a roaming lion, growling and snarling and hollering and making a lot of noise with no teeth in his mouth because Calvary knocked him out. Satan has took a pounding and deliverance has taken place. Calvary, what a place. Calvary, salvation personified. Oh, God, work, please. Don't let that one get back on that mission bus without Christ. Don't let a soldier get on the bus without Christ. Don't let one person under the sound of my voice die and go to hell without Jesus. This morning, please work in our midst. If you're not on the altar, if you're on the altar, stay right where you are and pray. Everyone else, stand with us. All over the building. Preacher, I need the Lord.